श्रवनम डायरीज पॉडकास्ट हरे कृष्ण एवरीवन वी आर कंटिन्यूइंग टू रीड द भगवद गीता एज इट इज द बुक बाय हिज डिवाइन ग्रेस भाई चरणारविंद भक्ति वेदांत स्वामी श्रीला प्रभुपाद चैप्टर 10 द ऑपुलेंस ऑफ द एब्सोल्यूट टेक्स्ट 4 टू 5 बुधिर्ज्ञानम सम्मोहा क्षम सत्यम दमाशमा सुखम दुखम भवो भावो भयम च भयमेव चहिंसुष्टिस्पोदानम यशो यशा भवती भावूता मत पृथग विधा इंटेलिजेंस नॉलेज फ्रीडम फ्रॉम डाउट एंड डिल्यूजन फॉरगिवनेस truthfulness control of the senses control of the mind happiness and distress birth death fear fearlessness non-violence equanimity satisfaction austerity charity fame and infamy all these various qualities of living beings are created by me alone purport the different qualities of living entities be they good or bad are all created by krishna and they are described here intelligence refers to the power to analyze things in their proper perspective and knowledge refers to understanding what is spirit and what is matter mm actually thank god one time i was doing bhakti shastri and there was a discussion where intelligence was defined as the ability to discriminate between spirit and matter but here prabhat says that it refers to the power of analyzing things in their proper perspective and knowledge is where you actually discriminate between spirit and matter So okay ordinary knowledge ordinary knowledge obtained by a university education pertains only to matter and it is not accepted here as knowledge knowledge means knowing the distinction between spirit and matter In modern education there is no knowledge about spirit. They're simply taking care of the material elements and bodily needs. Therefore, academic knowledge is not complete. Hmm. Intelligence means analyzing. Of course, that make makes sense because like say lord brahma he has so many more perspectives much more perspectives than anybody else he has four heads so and knowledge of course knowledge means understanding what is spirit having that spiritual knowledge and what is matter having that material knowledge 
And academic knowledge is not complete. It doesn't mean that academic knowledge is some junk that you find, uh, you know, throwing around in some gutter. <laughs> That's not... <laughs> academic knowledge is knowledge, but it's knowledge about matter. And I believe, I mean, I'm planning to write a series of articles now. Uh, one, if the hands will do whatever magic they're doing, I may write an article about how to uh, maintain dignity in the age of trivialization. That's first article. Second article that's coming up is why the Gurukulis are supposed to learn the soft skills. I mean, the, the name will be different, but basically uh, I would wanna, I wanna write like a survival uh, kit for youth of ISKCON where they have to learn uh, what is negotiation, manipulation, and um, subtle form of belittling and uh, you know how what do you call manipulation what is the synonym another synonym for manipulation provocation yeah and another thing that i want to write is about the importance of understanding this point that actually it's all in that same article that academic knowledge means it's not complete meaning it, it lacks spiritual knowledge. But it doesn't mean that you can just row in the boat of the material world without, you know, having your ABCs correctly, um, how do you call it, aligned or ABCs digested or ABCs properly learned. Okay, okay, let's not digress too much. Next paragraph. Asam Moha. Freedom from doubt and delusion can be achieved when one is not hesitant and when he understands the transcendental philosophy. Wow, what a definition. Freedom from doubt, meaning you're not hesitant. You know, I always find it to be very incredible how you can do something for somebody else in a beat, in a heartbeat. And I found this to be like something that I would constantly face myself and never really admit to myself until I met my husband, who pointed that out in me. He said that, you know, Solarita, you would do things for others in a heartbeat, and they would, if they would ever be asked to do something in return for you, they would think about it for a long time and may not do anything, actually. So here it says, you know, and then I was thinking that, right, like Krishna, he would do things for us immediately but we're not reciprocating with Krishna in the same way because we have doubts whether Krishna consciousness is really all in all so here Prabhupada says asam moha freedom from doubt and illusion can be achieved when one is not hesitant we should not be hesitant in our devotional service and when he understands the transcendental philosophy. We have to know the transcendental philosophy. Goodness gracious. If we want to be free from doubts and delusions. You can't row your boat on a Haribol. Your entire spiritual career or spiritual life or spiritual journey. It's not the way he worked. It works. Aindra Prabhu was such a deep scholar. He would give such incredible classes. Listen to his classes. Don't just... You know, like, imitate and then sink like Titanic. Slowly but surely, continuing. 
Slowly but surely, he becomes free from bewilderment. Nothing should be accepted blindly. Everything should be accepted with care and with caution. And I love this thing about Srila Prabhupada. Prabhupada never cultivated blind followers. You have to study, accept things with care and caution. Test and see for yourself. Even spiritual master has to be tested before you actually take shelter. Kshama. Tolerance and forgiveness should be practiced. One should be tolerant and excuse the minor offenses of others. Mm. Minor, interesting. Minor offenses. Okay. Satyam. Truthfulness. Means that facts should be presented as they are for the benefit of others. Facts should not be misrepresented. Oh, that's, that's, that goes into that article of mine for the youth. Misrepresented facts. Like, I would say, facts can be misrepresented. This is what the media does, right? The media, they take something and then they just kind of twist it around and this is what they meant. I'm like, what? Facts should not be misrepresented. Meaning things should not be taken out of context, right? Okay. According to social conventions, it is said that one can speak the truth only when it is palatable to others. But that is not truthfulness. The truth should be spoken in a straightforward way so that others will understand actually what the facts are. If a man is a thief and if people are warned that he's a thief, that is truth. Although sometimes the truth is unpalatable, one should not refrain from speaking it. Truthfulness demands that the facts be presented as they are for the benefit of others. That is the definition of truth. Wow. Okay. Prabhupada says according to social conventions, but later on Srila Prabhupada... Um, he translated that verse where Krishna says satyam priyam. The austerity of speech means that you have to speak the truth in a palatable way. But, I mean, I understand it in a way that it, it's not a contradiction, but it's more like expanding on the same topic. That, yes, truth has to be spoken in a palatable way. But if the truth is such that it's not palatable, then it should be spoken in a straightforward way. In either cases, it's not like, oh, this truth can't be spoken in a... Like, how can you say that somebody is like uh, Hannibal? You know, somebody is eating people. Like, recently, with the recent events that are going on, I was having a friendly conversation with a friend of mine. She's a senior Mataji. She has... She's a genius. She and her husband, they're uh, giving classes for the Russian... They have institution. I mean, we're, we were talking as friends, basically. Meeting up, catching up. And I was telling her that, you know, um, yeah, some false accusations have been presented to our Shiksha Guru. And if we say nothing about it, that means silence is consent. But if, say, somebody would make an accusation that, that her, like she, a friend of mine, that she eats human flesh, that she's a Hannibal, 
Would she be in the same, like, oh, I hate and all these gossips? You know, I don't really pay attention to these gossips. It's okay. No. The truth is that she's not. This is bogus. This is completely uh, preposterous. Whoever speaks like that is an inadequ- inadequate freak. It's not truth. You see? So, like, the way you react to... Uh, lies actually speaks about how much of a lie it is. So here it says the truth can be unpalatable. Like somebody can actually be somewhat of a... Um, like here Prabhupada says, he may be a thief. It's not... Pal- how can you say he is a thief in a palatable way? He is Makanchor. <laughs> what the hell? No, Makanchor is Lord Krishna. He is transcendental. He is, you know, you can't go your way around it and make it politically correct. If somebody is actually a thief and he stole something. Hmm? So here it says that, yes, the truth has to be spoken in a palatable way. But if the truth is so unpalatable that it can't be spoken in a palatable way, we still speak the truth in a straightforward way. All right. I mean, I had a whole like a 30-day challenge in 2016. It was on Instagram. I had like 30 days of truth. I deleted everything, of course, uh, because that's how I roll. <laughs> I do something, then I delete it, and then like, I'm a new person now. <laughs> it was like, anyway, but I, I did write a lot of things back then. I mean, sometimes I do regret that I completely delete and reformat my life in that way. But uh, what to do? It's uh, guna karma. It's the way I function. So yeah, but I remember that 30 days of truth. I, I took a vow that I will only speak the truth for 30 days, um, and then I decided that I will do that for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's it's great, I think. Yeah. Okay. So next, control of the senses means that the senses should not be used for unnecessary personal enjoyment. There is no prohibition against meeting the proper needs of the senses, but unnecessary sense enjoyment is detrimental for spiritual advancement. Hmm. Unnecessary personal enjoyment. That's why here, this is important point. Uh, this really defines whether you're a brahmachari or you're a grihasta for the prabhus. For the matajis, please. <laughs> like, I mean, unless you're a very, very, very special case, you have needs. <laughs> and not like gross, but subtle for sure. Um, yeah, so just like in the story of Gajendra, right? That uh, Prabhupada writes in the purport that some people, they're stronger on the earth. Some people are stronger in the water. So, what are the needs of the senses in your particular scenario? Meet them properly. But if you don't have any needs, then it's unnecessary for you to try to fulfill them. And that can be detrimental for spiritual advancement. Okay, next. Therefore, the senses should be restrained from unnecessary use. Similarly, one should restrain the mind from unnecessary thoughts. 
that is called shama. Shama. One should not spend one's time pondering over earning money. That is a misuse of the thinking power. The mind should be used to understand the prime necessity of human beings and that should be presented authoritatively. The power of thought should be developed in association with persons who are authorities in the scriptures, saintly persons and spiritual masters and those whose thinking is highly developed. Actually, just yesterday, me and my husband were taking a walk and we were discussing the fact that um, overthinking, meaning for people who have anxiety issues, overthinking about material problems is also ugra karma. Meaning you're thinking too much about some things you can't control or some things you can't enjoy. Or like Prabhupada says here, over-earning money, unnecessary thoughts. Hmm. Okay, so we should develop our power of thoughts where Prabhupada said, Guru Sadhu Shastras, authorities in the scriptures, saintly persons, spiritual masters, yeah, Guru Sadhu Shastras, okay. Next point, Sukham, pleasure or happiness, should always be in that which is favorable for the cultivation of the spiritual knowledge of Krishna consciousness, and similarly that which is painful or which causes distress is that which is unfavorable for the cultivation of Krishna consciousness. Anything favorable for the development of Krishna consciousness should be accepted and anything unfavorable should be rejected. Bhava, birth, should be understood to refer to the body. As far as the soul is concerned, there is neither birth nor death that we have discussed in the beginning of Bhagavad Gita. So we discussed this thing in the beginning. Birth and death apply to someone's embodiment in the material world. Fear is due to worrying about the future. A person in Krishna consciousness has no fear because by his activities he is sure to go back to the spiritual sky, back home, back to Godhead. Therefore, his future is very bright. I remember this entire verse i don't remember when i was reading it when i was 15 or 17 but i clearly remember this particular point that we don't have anything to fear just because our future will always be bright because we're aspiring devotees okay so therefore his future is very bright others however do not know that do not know what what their future holds they have no knowledge of what the next life holds. They are therefore in constant anxiety. If we want to get free from anxiety, free from anxiety, then the best course is to be understood, okay, to understand Krishna and be situated always in Krishna consciousness. Mm. So if we want to get free here, yeah, okay, so anxiety can also be uh, 
due to fear, right? Not only overthinking, but also due to fear. Okay, but also I would say that it's paranoia also, right? Fear causes paranoia as well. So if we want to get free from anxiety, then the best course is to understand Krishna and be situated always in Krishna consciousness. Jai. Jai. I remember one time my Guru Maharaj, he gave me this advice. I was very anxious, paranoid, uh, confused. And I told Guru Maharaj about the situation. Guru Maharaj was like, just be Krishna conscious. And that was like one of the most... Uh, awesomest advice uh, instructions he's ever given me <laughs> yeah in that way we will be free from all fear in the Srimad Bhagavatam 11.2.37 it is said Bhayam dvitiya fear is caused by our absorption in the illusory energy but those who are free from the illusory energy, those who are confident that they are not the material body, that they are the spiritual parts of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and who are therefore engaged in the transcendental service of the Supreme Godhead, have nothing to fear. Jai. So, what is it? free from illusory energy, confident that we are not this material body, that we are spiritual parts and parcels, and engaged in the service. If we're doing these four, we have nothing to fear. That's why I believe that sometimes we engage in devotional service, but we don't really understand that we are parts and parcels of the Supreme Lord. We're thinking that we're parts and parcels of matter, some junk or some, you know? And, uh, like, that's a, that's a problem. That's why we have fears. Okay. Their future is very bright. Because they have nothing to fear. This fear is a condition of persons who are not in Krishna consciousness. Abhayam, fearlessness, is possible only for one in Krishna consciousness. Okay. Ahimsa. Non-violence means that one should not do anything which will put others into misery or confusion. Oh, I love this definition for sure. Misery or confusion. Material activities that are promised by so many politicians, sociologists, philanthropists, etc. Do not produce very good results because the politicians and philanthropists have no transcendental vision. They do not know how to what is actually beneficial for human society. Ahimsa means that people should be trained in such a way that the full utilization of the human body is achieved. The human body is meant for spiritual realization, so any movement or any commissions which do not further that end commit violence on the human body. That which furthers the future spiritual happiness of the people in general is called nonviolence. 
Haribol! All glories to Srila Prabhupada. This is incredible. This is just so genius, I'm telling you. Incredible. Prabhupada defines ahimsa, non-violence. Just like recently I was learning some um how do you call it? Was some yeah, some very you know famous uh, or some psychologist, psychotherapist in good standing. It was about a month ago that he was explaining what is a trauma. And he was saying that trauma doesn't just mean somebody comes and you know bangs you on the head with a shovel. That's like violence. And non-violence means that he has a shovel in his hand and he doesn't bang you on the head, right? That's non-violence. No. Actually, if you are if you have a need and you don't fulfill it, say you're thirsty and you're asking a person for water and the person's like, you know, what the hell with you? That's violence because something is supposed to happen. He was explaining it in that way. And this is exactly what Srila Prabhupada speaks in this verse. He says that People in general are supposed to have a future spiritual happiness. We're supposed to have, we're supposed to experience spiritual happiness, and we're supposed to further the future of that spiritual happiness. Right? It's we're supposed to be benefited as a human society. But if that doesn't happen, that means that politicians, sociologists, philanthropists—they're committing himsa. They're committing violence because we're supposed to be spiritually happy and we're not. That's violence against the living entities. Now think about that. Krishna, I mean, Krishna is a genius. Srila Prabhupada is a genius. And that's why I'm a Hare Krishna. Haribo! Okay. Uh, samata, equanimity, refers to freedom from attachment and aversion. To be very much attached or to be very much detached is not the best. Wow, really? Okay. This material world should be accepted without attachment or aversion. That which is favorable for prosecuting Krishna consciousness should be accepted. That which is unfavorable should be rejected. That is called samatha, equanimity. A person in Krishna consciousness has nothing to reject and nothing to accept, save in terms of its usefulness in the prosecution of Krishna consciousness. Hmm. So, freedom from attachment and aversion. Okay. So basically, if we are super attached or super detached without Krishna consciousness, that's not very workable, it's not the best. But if it's done in Krishna consciousness, then that is called equanimity. Wow. Okay. Tushti, next one. Tushti, satisfaction, means that one should be, means that one should not be. Tushti, satisfaction, means that one should not be eager to gather more and more material goods by unnecessary activity. One should be satisfied with whatever is obtained by the grace of the Supreme Lord. That is called satisfaction. Tapas means austerity or penance. 
There are many rules and regulations in the Vedas which apply here, like rising early in the morning and taking a bath. Sometimes it is very troublesome to rise early in the morning, but whatever voluntary trouble one may suffer in this way is called penance. Similarly, there are prescriptions for fasting on certain days of the month. One may not be inclined to practice such fasting, but because of his determination to make advancement in the science of Krishna consciousness, he should accept such bodily troubles when they are recommended. However, one should not fast unnecessarily or against Vedic injunctions. One should not fast for some political purpose that is described in Bhagavad Gita as fasting in ignorance and anything done in ignorance or passion does not lead to spiritual advancement. Everything done in the mode of goodness does advance one, however, and fasting done in terms of the Vedic injunctions enriches one in spiritual knowledge. So here, you know, sometimes we say that uh, we don't really care about sattva guna, we care only about shudha sattva. But, you know, speaking realistically, we should also like give some attention to sattva guna because, because we're not on the level of shudha sattva 24-7. We have to be realistic, down to earth and truthful about this fact, isn't it? So fasting done in ignorance and passion doesn't lead to spiritual advancement. Fasting done in goodness, it leads one to advance. So everything done in the mode of goodness does advance one, however, and fasting done in terms of Vedic injunctions enriches one in spiritual knowledge. Now, next one. <coughs> as far as charity is concerned, one should give 50% of his earnings to some good cause. And what is a good cause? It is that which is conducted in terms of Krishna consciousness. That is not only a good, good cause, but the best cause. Because Krishna is good, his cause is also good. Thus, charity should be given to a person who is engaged in Krishna consciousness. According to the Vedic literature, it is enjoined the charity should be given to the brahmanas. Hmm. This practice is still followed, although not very nicely, in terms of the Vedic injunction. But still, the injunction is that charity should be given to the brahmanas. Why? Because they are engaged in higher cultivation of spiritual knowledge. A brahmana is supposed to devote his whole life to understanding Brahman. Brahma Janatiti Brahmana. Hmm. One who knows Brahman is called a brahmana. Thus, charity is offered to the brahmanas because they're always engaged in higher spiritual service and have no time 
to earn their livelihood. Hmm. Jai. In the Vedic literature, charity is also to be awarded, awarded to one in the renounced order of life, the sannyasi. The sannyasis beg from door to door, not for money, but for missionary purposes. The system is that they go from door to door to awaken the householders from the slumber of ignorance. Because the householders are engaged in family affairs and have forgotten their, their actual purpose of life, awakening their Krishna consciousness is the business of the sannyasis to go as beggars to the householders and encourage them to be Krishna conscious. As it is said in the Vedas, one should awake and achieve what is due him in this human life, in this human form of life. Hmm. This knowledge and method is distributed by the sannyasis. Hence, charity is to be given in the renouncer of life to the brahmanas and similar, similar good causes, not to any whimsical cause. Okay. And another point is that if good, wealthy grihastas are giving something to the sannyasis, it is not for anybody to judge and, you know, make their sneaky and stupid comments on that fact. Oh, like, you know, they've given them apartment. Yes, Srila Prabhupada, he was like... Devotees would bring Rolls Royce to the airport of Srila Prabhupada. They would, you know, like, like he would eat from such gorgeous plates because he is Sakshad Hari. Because sannyasis in our movement are not just sannyasis, they're also Sakshad Hari, they're also Sri Guru. So we have to, like, we can treat them in the most opulent way and they're still remaining like humble servants of the Lord. So, yes, we are proud and very happy to treat our sannyasis in the most opulent way because we can and because it purifies our wealth and there is nothing wrong with that if anybody has any doubts yashas at last yashas fame should be according to lord chaitanya who said that a man is famous when he is known as a great devotee Jai. Okay, so um, let me just read the previous sentence again, and then because we've digressed a little bit. So, this knowledge and method is distributed by the sannyasis, hence, charity is to be given to the renouncer of life, to the brahmanas, and similar good causes, not to any whimsical cause. And the next sentence, yashas, fame, should be according to Lord Chaitanya who says that a man is famous when he is known as a great devotee. Okay, that is real fame. If one has become a great man in Krishna consciousness and it is known that he is truly famous. Okay, one who does not have such fame is infamous. 
So if we become a great man in Krishna consciousness and it is known that we are in Krishna consciousness, then he is fully, truly famous. Okay. So, all these qualities are manifest throughout the universe in human society and in the society of the demigods. There are many forms of humanity on other planets and these qualities are there. Now, for one who wants to advance in Krishna consciousness, Krishna creates all these qualities, but the person develops them himself from within. So qualities are there, but you develop them yourself. One who engages in the devotional service of the Supreme Lord develops all the good qualities as arranged by the Supreme Lord. Of whatever we find good or bad, the origin is Krishna. Nothing can manifest itself in this material world which is not in Krishna. That is knowledge. Although we know that things are differently situated, we should realize that everything flows from Krishna. Jai. Okay, so we shall stop here for today. Tomorrow we shall read the next verse, text number six. And we will read about the seven sages and the manus, progenitors of mankind. Jai. Thank you so much for tuning in today. The book links, previous episodes, timeline, and biography of the author can be found on shravanamdiaries.com. The link is in the description, and we shall see you tomorrow. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama.